Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you all so much for coming. I honestly thought this being my second Dharma talk, the nerves would be a little less, but they're not. <laughs> not sure if they ever go away. Um, but today, I want to start this talk off by sharing an experience I recently had. So, <clears throat> not long ago, I took a trip to Scotland with two very, very dear friends of mine. One of them, whom grew up there, and because she would be splitting her time between friends and family in Scotland and with us, I decided I'd rent a car. Now, having never driven on the opposite side of the car, on the opposite side of the road, I uh, thought I should get a little familiar with it. So I did what most people do when they need to find more information. I went to YouTube, <laughs> and I found some great videos of driving instructors that kind of helped me get to know, you know what that was going to look like and what to expect. So when I arrived, I was mentally prepared for this new driving experience. I still spent the entire day completely white knuckled <laughs> on the steering wheel, trying to remind myself that the rear view mirror was actually now on the left and not on the right. But um, after some time and, and the more I drove, the, 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 the better it got. Um, on the last day we were there, another friend of ours who lives in Scotland asked if we wanted to meet her in Braemar, which is a, um, a beautiful, picturesque little town in the Highlands. And so uh, how do you say no to that? Um, Braemar is about two hours from where we were staying. And thinking like an American, I'm just going to hop on the motorway and go, no, no. It was two hours of very tiny, windy, high elevation roads <laughs> with 70 mile per hour speed limits, which no, I did not ever get up to 70 miles per hour because <laughs> that side of the road gets closer than you think. Um, but, but I did it. We went and it was hands down one of the most beautiful drives I've ever taken. And the hiking was gorgeous. The um, town was just perfect and spending time with with very dear friends was extremely heartwarming and it was absolutely a day I will always remember not long after I returned home I was reflecting on this driving experience and the word effort kept coming to my mind over and over again I enjoyed the effort I put into learning this new experience I and experiencing this new skill. It was challenging. I was going against 30 years of cultivated habit, but it was exciting. And the benefits extended beyond just myself. I'm sorry, I'm going to have to put my glasses on because I've gotten <laughs> to that age now where I can't read things. Oh, I was hoping to avoid this. Sorry. <laughs> uh, where was I? Um, ah, the benefits, they extended beyond just myself. I helped a friend by alleviating an obligation um, to drive us around. Uh, I helped keep us and everyone else on the road safe. And I also perfectly executed a spiral roundabout. And if anybody knows what those are, you know how important that accomplishment <laughs> is. But um, I, I found myself asking what type of effort am I really giving to my practice? <clears throat> I meditate 
and practice mindfulness most of the time. I listen to Dharma talks, I read books, I go to sittings, but I don't attend every Sunday. Sometimes I forget to be mindful. I don't sit on my cushion as much as I want to. And when I'm invited to give a Dharma talk, I spend days fretting and doubting myself. After exploring this question for a while, I found myself turning towards a practice that I admit I had forgotten, gotten lost along the way, a practice I once found very liberating. I went back to my beginning and I took another look at the Noble Eightfold Path where I found a jewel I had somehow overlooked. So today I want to talk about right effort. Uh, so to give a little bit of context, after Buddha attained enlightenment, he gave his first teaching in which he taught the Four Noble Truths. So there, there is suffering, there is a cause to suffering, there is an end to suffering, and there is a path to the end of suffering. This path is called the Noble Eightfold Path, and the elements involved practicing this are right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. When I first learned of the Noble Eightfold Path in a class taught by Tim Shorey and Glenn Duvall, thank you both very much, <laughs> um, effort was not on my radar. When I hear the word effort, it evokes this internal groan. <laughs> I work <laughs> so hard at so many other things, I don't want to add anything else to it. And at that time, effort sounded heavy. But right effort isn't so much about muscle power. In fact, the, the uh, Sanskrit word for effort is virya which is commonly translated as energy, diligence, enthusiasm, and zeal. I like that word, zeal. It's got, it's got something behind it. So some definitions I came across were the enthusiasm to undertake virtuous actions. Bhikkhu Bodhi says, virya is the mental factor behind right effort and the exertion involved in right effort is a wholesome form of energy. Thich Nhat Hanh says, it's the type of energy that helps us realize the Noble Eightfold Path. In fact, effort isn't just in the Noble Eightfold Path. It shows up in the six paramitas and the seven factors of awakening, which tells us how vital effort really is to this practice. When I was thinking of examples I could try to show this wholesome energy, what came to mind immediately was a small group of people here at our center who have been working tirelessly over for over a year now to help restore and renovate our new retreat center in Chapel Hill. They are not paid to do this work. They choose to go out there almost every week to clean, repair, in some cases to increase our land's animal population. I don't know if Joe is here, but thank you, Joe, for the possums. <laughs> um, and they uh, paint and paint and paint some more. Now, I'm not going to speak for them, but I suspect the energy behind their actions is not generated by selfish motivation, but rather for the benefit of others, for the benefit of us. And this to me is Viria. This is the wholesome form of energy we strive for because it's what guides us along this path to liberation. 
So how do we cultivate this type of energy? There are two components to right effort. There are practices of right effort, and there is practicing right effort. The Buddha taught four practices to help us cultivate. Practices that Bhikkhu Bodhi calls great endeavors, which I, I absolutely love this, this, uh, this framing. It sounds like a quest, like I'm going somewhere. I'm taking that ring to Mordor. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> um, so, although I am going to go over these practices kind of briefly, um, I do want to emphasize that these are very important and extremely beneficial practices. But there, there's unfortunately just not enough time in a Dharma talk to go into them in great detail. Um, so the practices are letting go of unwholesome or unhelpful states of mind that have already arisen. So greed, hate, delusion, and all their many, many manifestations. Preventing unwholesome states of mind from arising. Bringing about wholesome states of mind that have not yet arisen. Generosity, loving kindness, wisdom. Maintaining wholesome states of mind that have arisen. Sounds simple enough, right? These naturally fall into two categories. Unwholesome, letting go and preventing. And wholesome, bringing about and maintaining. But they are all fueled by mindfulness. Mindfulness brings us into this present moment, allowing us to observe the thoughts and feelings and sensations we're experiencing. The practices of right effort go beyond this and ask of us to actively engage with these observations. Let's take letting go of unwholesome states of mind. That should be easy, just let it go, right? <laughs> How many times have you found yourself suddenly in the middle of a very strong emotion without ever realizing how you even got there? Has anybody here driven on I-10? <laughs> you know exactly how easy it is to get there. And it's easy to grab on to those negative thoughts and let them lead you around for a while, especially since we've been uh, cultivating that habitual action for most of our lives. With this practice, being mindful that we are in that state of mind helps us to be observant of those thoughts, feelings, and sensations. And right effort opens the door to letting it go. Even if we don't catch it at the beginning and just find ourselves smack dab in the middle of it, that's fine. What's important is that we recognize it, because the second we recognize it is the second we can drop it. Reflecting on impermanence. This feeling isn't going to last. It's temporary and will pass. Distraction. Focusing on the breath. Turning our attention to something different. Investigating. Shining a light on that thought. What's going on there? Where do those roots go? Maybe a more antithesis approach is your style. Replacing that unwholesome thought with a wholesome one. Take that anger and turn it into loving kindness. Take that desire and break it down into its parts. I like Bhikkhu Bodhi's image of the practice. He says, even if unwholesome thoughts arise, one can dispel them immediately, just as quickly as a red hot pan will turn to steam a few chance drops of water. But the other unwholesome practice is preventing unwholesome states of mind for arising, which requires us to really tap into our senses, our touch, our taste, smell, sound, sight, 
and how they react to our environment. So I'll, I'll use an example I think most of us can relate to. You're driving on I-10, enjoying your music, your podcast. Suddenly there's someone behind you driving really close. You can tell they're in a hurry. Traffic isn't going to let them by, right? Suddenly a heat begins to rise up. Maybe your palms start getting sweaty or your heart begins to beat a little faster. Maybe you have a little bitter taste in your mouth. This is anger. And this is how your body reacts to it. And now it's sending you all these signals needed for a reaction. Since we are such good students and have been practicing mindfulness, we can now tell what is happening and fully understand all these sensations are connected to anger. Making this connection allows for some space to open up, giving us a moment of evaluation and choice. Choosing not to engage with it prevents it from arising. And this is right effort. Something important I want to note is we will never not have unwholesome states of mind. We're, we are human, right? Negative thoughts, critical thoughts, sleepiness, that just comes with the territory. Non-judgmental observation and our engagement with it is where our practice sits. So what about the wholesome side? That should be a little easier, right? Bringing about wholesome states of mind that have not arisen. This is our chance to work with the antidotes of unwholesome states of mind, generosity, loving kindness, patience, empathetic joy, gratitude, and energy itself is something you can work with here. Here we intentionally turn our attention towards these wholesome states of mind and explore them. Just like the unwholesome states of mind, we need to get to know these as well. Understand our senses and reactions to them. What does gratitude feel like? Or patience? What situations bring these about where we can make the effort to recognize them? So instead of letting these go now, we get to hold on to them for a minute and congratulate ourselves for recognizing it. Something I don't think we do enough of. The more you work with it, the more times you will see it arise, which then leads to the final practice, maintaining wholesome states of mind, which is exactly what it sounds, to keep these wholesome, beneficial states firmly in the mind. The more we practice, the more we find ourselves living in that wholesome state. It may be little moments here and there at first, but they will last longer and longer. And you may find yourself falling in and out of these moments, but you will always come back to it. And the more times you come back, the longer you're able to sustain it. So I think it's clear after going through this why it's called right effort. And there is no shortage of situations available to help us work with these practices. But equally important is practicing of right effort. This will look different for each person. There's no wrong way to practice right effort, but Buddha was very clear that this practice should lie within the middle way. There's a well-known story about a monk named Sona that I'd like to share to explain this. So Sona was going through a crisis of doubt and he practiced walking and sitting meditation day and night. He practiced so much that his bare feet were bleeding and raw. When he was about to abandon the life of a monk, the Buddha read his mind and saw his despair. Knowing that Sona was an accomplished musician, the Buddha asked him, 
Is it true that before you became a monk, you played the lute? Sona replied, it is so. The Buddha then asked, what happens if the string of your instrument is too loose? When you pluck it, there will be no sound, he said. Ah, the Buddha responded. I love that response, by the way. <laughs> and what happens when the string is too taut? It will break, said Sona. Then the Buddha said, Sona, your practice must be like this. If you practice with too much zeal, your practice will be like the strings of the lute tuned too light, tightly. If you practice with not enough zeal, you'll sink into sluggishness mm -hmm. and you will lose all mindfulness. If your practice is evenly tuned, it will be like a lute that makes beautiful music. We need to be aware of our physical and psychological limits, and we shouldn't force ourselves past those limits. Sometimes the best thing we can do is arise compassion for ourselves and know when to let that difficult thought and feeling to just rest. It'll be there later, trust me. <laughs> or know when we need to lie down for meditation and not sit in discomfort. I remember my first weekend sitting. It was here at the center with Reb Anderson. It was the first time I had gone uh, past a one day. Uh, it was about late Saturday afternoon. I was hurting. My back was hurting. My neck was hurting. And during one of our breaks, a beloved member, much missed member, Dave Johnson came up to me and asked how I was doing. That's <laughs> <clears throat> and I told him I was trying to deal with this pain in my back and my shoulder. And he said, it's okay to move around if you need to while you're sitting. Oh my God. Imagine my face. I was new to this practice. I'm not moving. I have to sit. I have to sit upright and I just have to take it. And that's just what I need to do. So during the next period of Zazen, Dave, who happened to be sitting in front of me on the cushion, uh, starts moving his neck around and then he starts moving his shoulders <laughs> and then the next time i know he's just sitting there with his arms just going around <laughs> it took everything in me not to just start laughing but i gave him the the, the biggest internal bow i could because <laughs> dave taught me a lot that day not to push myself to be kind to my body, to ourselves, body and mind. And this also does include not allowing ourselves to fall too far the other way. Be wary of that comfy bed or that next episode that keeps us from the cushion. <laughs> Your practice should bring you joy. It should ignite that spark that motivates you to the cushion, to be mindful every day, to welcome those moments of awakening that spur on that energy, that enthusiasm, so we can awaken again and again and again. So I'd like to close this talk with some words by Shantideva, who was an 8th century Buddhist monk who wrote The Guide to the Bodhisattva Way of Life, which is nine or ten chapters of verse, dedicated to the cultivation of bodhicitta that desire to alleviate suffering for all. One of the chapters is dedicated entirely to enthusiasm. 
And in it, Shantidevi says, for mounted on the horse of Bodhicitta that puts to flight all mournful weariness, who could ever be dejected riding such a steed from joy to joy? Mm. 